Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Colin Carter Podcast, live in studio in Salt Lake City. Bringing you the best uh, information, content on parenting, raising your kids, raising yourself in this crazy world we're all growing up in right now. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for the messages. Thank you for the emails and for the comments. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you guys are hanging in there with all the craziness. I did a Zoom conference yesterday with all the parents in Park City, Utah, where I live. I don't live in Park City, but up there. And uh, it was amazing. It was supposed to be a parenting conference, and but most of all the questions of the QA were like, how can I handle this better as a parent? How can I handle the stress I'm going through and the anxiety, oh my gosh, and the stress? Uh, but anyways, a lot of things going on, a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty. And so I'm so grateful for this space where we can talk about how do we deal with this as parents and as uh, how do we deal with this as teenagers for the teenagers to listen. And uh, today's topic and today's guest, I'm super, super stoked about. Uh, as I go and talk and speak, I get to run into people either face to face or they message me and uh, go through and look them up and check out their stories. Uh, and it's uh, my privilege today to have someone from the far south to come on and be a guest to share about what she does, uh, teaching and educating, helping people with uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, so Kara Snyder is down in Alabama and she's a mom of two. And she has a, a book and a workshop called Anxiety Elephants, which I love because uh, we all have those. I just didn't know they're called elephants. I thought they were maybe a different form of mammal. Uh, but Anxiety <laughs> Elephants, <laughs> you can hear it giggling. Welcome to the show, Karis. How are you? Thanks so much for joining. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry, I cannot, I cannot restrain that giggle. <laughs> I love the elephants, though. We all have them. Anyways, so thanks so much for joining, for reaching out to me. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, today we're talking about um, your story and how a lot of us as adults and, of course, teenagers who are struggling with these same things, like how do we overcome this, how do we rise above uh, anxiety, depression. A poll, I think it was Time or Newsweek a couple months ago, polled 1,000 teenagers. 70% said the number one thing and the number one issue that they're struggling with is anxiety and depression. I think if you ask most parents too right now, it would be feelings of anxiety, which of course, if left unchecked, goes to depression. They always hand in hand. Uh, so I'm so glad we're talking about this. And so I would just love to hear your story. It was super interesting to me when you emailed me and told me about it. Uh, so let's start from the beginning. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again just for having me and just hearing those numbers. That is alarming and heartbreaking to me. You know, I know before all this pandemic stuff started, over th- uh, close to 300 million adults were battling some form of anxiety. And yet when we are dealing with that anxiety, we feel like we're the only one. We feel so ashamed and so embarrassed and defeated. And so we try to go through that battle alone. And that's where I found myself. Um, I grew up in a home. If you, if you guys can hear the accent, I am <laughs> we can hear it, yeah. born, right, right. <laughs> Southern born and raised um, in the state of Alabama. And I grew up in a home with a mom and a dad. Both loved me, both cared about me. I have a twin brother and older brother. We, um, we went to church and we were involved and I was born with a mild form of cerebral palsy, actually in my left side. And so early on in my life, I can still remember I'm in my thirties. And I remember as a six-year-old, a friend of mine, he gathered all of our friends around us held his arms up like a bunny rabbit and asked me why I looked that way Mm. and began to hop around me and make fun of me. And I remember all the laughs and I remember all the the people pointing at me 
And I was heartbroken to realize that I was being rejected because I was different. And so, you know, I went home and I was scared to tell any teachers. I was scared to tell my parents because I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't didn't know how to deal with those feelings because I didn't know what those feelings were. And so I just hit it and I pressed it down and pressed it down. And early on in my life, from that point, I was determined to not stand out, but to fit in and to work hard, to excel, and and not fail. Yeah. I wanted to excel and not fail. So here comes the mask of perfection early on. And uh, I wore that mask for, for many, many years and just tried to, to always look like I had it all together because I didn't think I could have any struggles. I didn't think I could have any... Um, any battles yeah. thought I had to, to be perfect. And so back in 2011, actually the, the weight of the mask began to crumble and make me crumble within. And I was dealing with, with these, these feelings at my, my heart rate would race. My, my chest would feel heavy. It felt like elephants. There you go. Sitting on my chest. Oh. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. Uh, I still didn't tell anyone because I didn't think I could. I thought I was the only one. And I'll be honest with you and your listeners out there. And I don't know if you have ever run into this, but I, at that point in my life, I did not think that anxiety nor depression were real. Yeah. I thought when people would come to me, you know, like in church, if they wanted encouragement or advice or, or prayer, and they would describe those things to me, my answer was always pray harder, work harder, do yeah. more. Or, you know, like a high school football coach, you just need to suck it up, buttercup, yeah. And, yeah. and move on. And then I began to have my own battles with, with that anxiety. And uh, it, it was crushing. I, it took me from a place of feeling like I was on, honestly, I felt like I was on top of the world to the world crushing me. And then from that point, that anxiety, I was trying to make my body look perfect. I was this mom and I had this, this, my daughter who was two at the time. My husband had a successful business. We were singing in church, you know, leading worship songs. And uh, I was scared to fail. I was full of so much shame. I can, even thinking back on it, it, it's hurtful, but I was just so scared to let everyone down. And um, so I began to hear these words in my head that would end in less words like you are worth less, mm-hmm. you're purposeless, yeah. you're hopeless, you're useless. So that anxiety, because I didn't deal with it, now I'm moving into depression and despair and shame and isolation, which many may, maybe you have found we're all in somewhat of an isolation. And when you get there, anxiety and depression becomes very loud and uh, they are your enemy, but in a weird way, they became my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I was scared to to leave that place because I didn't think I was worth anything else. And so the rock bottom moment for me, because I, I wouldn't ask for help because, I, again, I thought I was the only one. But I ended up getting pregnant, actually. And I was skin and bone when I got pregnant um, and, and because I was still trying hard to keep this outwardly look of perfection going yeah. on. You know, I had to have the the body that looked perfect, the face, that, everything had to look perfect because I didn't want them to see what was really going on. And my doctor told me uh, that I was pregnant and that she did not care if I ate donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just eat. Yeah. 
And so two things happened. Mama bear instinct kicked in. You know, moms, we will do whatever we can for our kids. But also when the doctor said, you can eat donuts, I was like, I will eat donuts. (laughs) Um, That was perfect for me. But uh, over an eight-week period, I did gain six pounds, which was huge. But I lost the baby. And when I lost that baby, then it was, see, look, you killed this baby. You lost this life. This is your fault. And um, in the middle of that, it's like I heard two options. You can give up or you can look up. And I thank God every day that he helped me to look up. And when I looked up, there were the helpers. There was a counselor. There was a doctor. There was my friends. There was uh, our our pastor at our church. There was my family. And restoration began. And so through all that, I want to help others because I felt alone. And when I started telling my friends what I was dealing with, these other mamas with other kids, they were like, you too? You deal with that too? Yeah. I was like, yes, me too. We're not alone. There are so many that deal with it. And even now, you know, and I know you know this, Colin, when I go in the schools and I, and I speak and talk about anxiety and I have third graders ask me, how do I deal with social anxiety? Yeah, I'm like, you're in third grade and, and this is already weighing on you. And so that's kind of my backstory. I've been where that shame of anxiety and depression takes you. But I want to help others see that they're not alone. There is hope and you can, you can get past it and you can work through it. Why do you think it's such an issue right now? I mean, we've, we as I think since the beginning of time as humans have wanted to be better, but to the point now where it's like killing us, um, what are, yeah. what do you think some of the roots of this perfectionism uh, to the point of mental health, uh, destruction? What do you think this is? What are some, what are some, what are some of those? I know there's some roots in your life, but what do you see when you talk to other people? Right. Well, a couple of things that I see. Uh, first of all, I see comparison. Social media has become such a field, this, this place where we compare our behind the scenes to others' highlight reels. Yeah. And we know half of the things we see on social media is filtered up, it's highlights, and it's only what we want people to see. It's not really the behind the scenes. So we take what we have going on in our life behind the scenes, and we try so hard to keep up with something that's really not real. And so comparison steals our joy. Steals our purpose, robs us of that. So I think that is going on. And I think as well, we are, we as a people, whether we want to admit it or not, we like to be in control. We like to look like we have control. And when, when we're ultimately not in control and we don't know how to respond to that, we don't know how to respond to change. Our, our brain at times will look at that and, and see it as a threat and our brain is going to respond to a real threat or to a perceived threat the same. And so that fight or flight response kicks in, or I even like to add in that freeze response where you freeze, you're paralyzed in fear. And because your brain is trying to protect you when there's really not a threat. So we, 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 we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to respond to those, those things when they happen because we do feel out of control. I wrote down something you said here because I think this is a big topic uh, where you said, I didn't get help, I got pregnant. Um, mm. I think that's such, that was very, that kind of hit me I, to the point, like I said, I wrote down. Um, I see that a lot in society today, especially in young families, especially in very Christian communities. I live in a very Christian community as you do, where keep, people, people get young very early and there's, a, there's an instant pressure to start a family and to be a perfect family because that's what, uh, the gospel, that's what the church, that's whatever it is, that's what your community, that's what your parents expect, and that's what everyone sees. 
um, and and it's almost like you know let's let's start a family before we are even whole as as adults. Let's start bringing kids into this uh, mm-hmm. before we're even mentally there as a potential mom or dad. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, to uh, to the people who, you know, you see a lot of people that it seems like they're just kind of throwing more babies at the problem instead of getting the help first. Right. First of all, I would say that there is no shame in getting help. And for so long, as as women, I know men listen to your show, but I think as women, we have bought into this this idea that we're supposed to be strong and independent and not need help. Yeah. When in reality, what makes us strong women is when we do life together, when we allow those helpers in and that's, and we are to bear one another's burdens. Yeah. And that was something that I got confused for so long. I didn't think I could have burdens. And I thought if I share this burden, they're going to use it against me. And what I found with women, especially as we begin to share our stories, and, and even with men, once we begin to share our burdens with one another, we did not become an army against each other. We became an army ready to fight for one another, yeah. ready to fight for our kids, to fight for our families, and, and to see that that we're not alone and we can go through life together and we make each other better by sharing those struggles because what you may have a strength in can help me and what I may have a strength in that's a weakness for you can help you. And so I think once I got myself out of that, that lie that I had fed myself for so many years and realized that, that getting help is actually a strong thing. That's actually the right thing to do. It's not wrong to get help. And I think at times, you know, we think allowing other people in to help us, is, is a bad thing, but it's not. It's actually, that is the right thing to do. And you are worth it to get help. And I had to get yeah. to that point to realize I'm worth it. I, I'm here for a reason. I'm still here on this earth for a reason and a purpose. And I need some help to get through all of the, the weeds and, and just the, the muck that I've been in in my life for so long. Yeah. Uh, I've been married almost 18 years. And I remember my maternal grandmother, she was a therapist, and, uh, and her gift to us when we got married was, was counseling. She's like, this is, I'm going to give you the best gift ever. You're going to love it. It's going to, it's going to, it could potentially save your future marriage. It's going to be, and I'm like expecting it to be like, maybe a, oh man, a boat maybe. And, uh, and it was some counseling yeah. and since, and, and it, we didn't even ask for it, but we're just, she said, you just have to get together. You know, when, when, when you go through these changes in life, a lot of ugly heads that you've been hiding, uh, a lot of Papa moles that you keep banging back down will start to air it out when you go through new forms of adulting with you know parenting, getting married, raising kids. Uh, I just did a podcast which I, uh, which should be released by the time I release this one, where we talked uh, uh, with some, with a therapist about you know uh, talking about moms and how when the babies come out, that's when a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the the, mm-hmm. the questions and the problems that you hid for so long. Uh, can really start coming out and it looks like postpartum and moms freak out and they don't know how to handle it. Um, but you were telling me before we recorded that like you noticed that you had some issues with this obviously early on Were you, did you ha- have a way to call it? This is anxiety or this is depression. Uh, when you were going through those teenage years, I mean, obviously as you became an adult, you realized what those things were, but like, when did you really start noticing that this was a big issue? You know, going through the, my, my teenage years, I, I realized that something was going on inside when, you know, when I would lay down at night and go to bed and, and, 
and just feel my heart racing and just feel, you know, the sweaty palms and a lot of things that come along with anxiety attacks. Yeah. But we, we didn't talk about it in my home. Like we didn't, we didn't talk about what problems or issues. So I didn't really know what it was. I do remember very vividly my senior year of high school, which I know a lot of your seniors are, are, are feeling this. You, you have that pressure to pick your school, the pressure to pay for school, yeah. the pressure to pick your major, you know, to go ahead and map out your life at 18 years of age. And that was, was piling up on me. And I remember my twin brother was driving us to school and he hit a big bump in the road and my orange juice spilt all over my outfit <laughs> that, you know, I spent hours uh, putting yeah. together yeah. and uh, that crushed me. It just kind of like it just it was one of those things that triggered yeah. just a major meltdown. And my older brother, who was a teacher, came and got me that day, and and he began to talk to me a little bit then about anxiety and, and say, you know, this is what you're feeling. And he just allowed me, that was my first kind of just sitting here talking with you, really, that first moment in my life where someone said, tell me. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to dismiss what you're feeling because what you are feeling is real. And he drove me around for an hour and he let me cry and snot all over him <laughs> and just, you know, share my, my, th- my feelings, share what was going on. And, um, and then when I got done, when I released all of that that was weighing on me, I felt at peace. When I was able to finally release that. And then I did not really honestly know that it was anxiety and depression until I was an adult and I fell into it and it almost took my life. And then when I got up and and those people started helping my counselor, my doctor started helping me, I began to realize, hey, this is real. The stigma that's going on around about it it is not okay. And if, if I can raise my voice and if I can help, Another mom, if I can help another teenager to know now that they're not crazy, that they are not alone, and that we can walk through this together, there's hope. On the other side, it doesn't get to define your life. You get to overcome it, and it gets to make your life better. It gets to make your life better. Yeah. Um, when you became a, a, a mom, you said things really kind of got into high gear. What do you? And I see that a lot. Um, if you struggle with this type of stuff as a high schooler yeah. and you don't get the help and take the steps, usually it almost just like, you know, goes into high gear once you become a parent. Uh, why do you think that is? Um, is it just pressure because now you've got more lives to take care of? Is it, what, what do you think it is yeah. in your case and in other people's cases? Sure. I, I, I do think it was pressure. I think, you know, those hormones were raging inside of my body and just not knowing what to do and where to go. Yeah. And I think, you know, it was, it was looking at this little life that, that was given to me and thinking, holy cow, am I going to be able to do this? I don't know how to do this, you know? And, and I started thinking, which moms do, you know, we try to prepare, we try to plan. And I started thinking about what ifs, what if this happens to her? Yeah. Uh, what if they, what if they, like my oldest, she rides horses, she's an equestrian rider. And I think, you know, wh- what if she falls off the horse? Yeah. What, you know, and so we start feeling all these things. So then we go into, you know, sometimes we go into that helicopter parent mode where we try to protect them from everything instead of realizing that they need to experience life and we just need to have open conversations with them. You know, growing up for, for me, we didn't have a lot of conversations. It was just do it, follow the directions yeah. and go. Yep, yep. And so 
you know, so, so now here I am a parent and, and I know that at times I'm going to mess up and that's okay. So one thing that helped me as a mom with my oldest, and then I, I, I have, we have a second daughter now, she's uh, going in second grade was to tell them up front to set the, the, this, uh, expectation that I'm going to mess up. Because yeah. I had to take that perfection expectation off of me as a mom and to tell them I'm going to mess up. And when I do, I'm going to apologize to you for it because I don't want my daughters to feel the pressure that I was feeling that they got to have it all together, that they yeah. always got to have it right, do it right and know the right things. And so, you know, I think doing that, it, it allows my kids to see that that I'm human and that we're walking through this parenting journey together. I have an early child development degree and I'm like half the time I'm like, I don't even know (laughs) if this works for me, you know? (laughs) Um, So I think it is, I think it's that pressure of trying to raise these humans the best that we can, but we have to understand that, that we're not going to get it right every time and it's okay. And and it, it builds respect and love between us and our kids to admit when we make a mistake. I love that. I think uh, one of the uh, one of the biggest comments I get from a lot of parents is just how stressed out they are about their own kids and how much anxiety they have as a parent. I mean, we have I, I won't name names of family members and friends who the the moms are literally on medication because they're so stressed out about the what ifs. Right. Uh, I talked to a family friend of mine, his best friend. I mean, this is probably like a thirty four year old mom of like three four kids. Typical perfect family that you see around where we live. And she's like, oh, I just found out that my best friend from high school, mom of three kids, who literally has, I mean, if you look at it on the outside of the Instagram profile, it's like the perfect life, you know, yeah. everything going well for them. And she's like, oh, she just told me that she's on some type of medication for anxiety. And, and, and I'm like, well, what, what is it? Is it, what is the anxiety from? She's like, oh, she's just stressed out about her kids. I'm, well, are they sick? I mean, is it, right. are they in the hospital? Like, what is it? No, they're fine. It's just, she's just worried about the what ifs. Um, and I, and it's something that a lot of parents are, are getting really, really almost like uh, paralyzed from is this like potential fear. I love you have a blog post called seven things to do when you feel anxious. And one of them is move from what if to what is, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So this is something that I have learned actually over the last year, because what if is so paralyzing and you create these these, these movies and these thoughts in your head that are not real, but they do appear very real. And so they paralyze you. So, so from, to move from what if to what is, is to move to this idea of, of what is your reality right now. What is true is, is your kids are safe. What is true maybe for you is that, is that they are loved. Mm-hmm. And, and also to go into, for me, to go into what is, there's a scripture in the Bible that tells you um, in Philippians about thinking about things that are good things, gracious things. And so when I think of what is good in my life, what is um, something that I I have in my life to be thankful for, it takes me automatically out of that anxious place of what if, because your brain cannot be in a gracious and an anxious state at the same time. And that's how powerful gratitude is. So that's one part of what is. Another thing is, is just when you feel that what if kind of trying to take you over is to ground yourself uh, and to physically think about things that, that your feet are touching or, or that you are seeing with your eyes. And just to move into, you know, this what is, is that I love my kids. What is, is that I'm going to do the best that I can for them. And what is, is, is that they are not going to be like me. 
They are not going to do everything that I say. (laughs) Yeah. And and that is okay. And so, and so when we can stay in that, what is frame of reality, it keeps us from putting pressure on ourselves, and it keeps us from putting pressure on our kids to, to fit these molds that, that they're not supposed to fit. They're all created to be different and we need to, to allow that that to happen in our families. That leads me to one of the biggest comments I get from teenagers, especially older teenagers, is how much pressure they feel because of this anxiety of their parents on their on their own lives. I feel like kids today are almost have almost become collateral damage to un to parents who didn't go get therapy. You know what I mean? And now they're yeah. all trying to pick up the pieces. When I look at the communities, especially where I live and across the country that have the highest teen suicide rates or uh, rates of attempted suicide, for the most part, it is always in places where it's very affluent or pseudo affluent. When I say pseudo, I mean places that are trying to fake out that they're very affluent uh, by people who all have the nice everythings. Uh, And you can tell that there's in these communities where there's a lot of high stressful uh, high stressed out teenagers that you see what their parents are dealing with and you see how their parents are struggling with feelings of perfectionism. And then what's happening is we're seeing a second generation of kids get sucked into this now, not at their own fault. I mean, kids see what they see their parents do and then they mimic, you know, monkey see monkey do. And I, I think that if anything, we as parents need to get our crap together with this and we have to drop this perfectionism ball and stop all this nonsense of trying to always be better than we should be and try to be better than everyone else and fall into these traps because it's affecting this next generation of kids. Um, Some of the areas uh, here, right here in Utah that have the highest teen suicide rates, high schools are in some areas where you drive around and everything is picture perfect on the outside. Um, and, and now I start to feel like the kids are really getting into this. What, what is your advice? I know you talked to a lot of adults and moms, uh, in the same age group and same situation in life. What, what is your advice to the teenagers that are struggling with a parent who's struggling with this? Right. So one thing I would say is, first of all, we, we have to stop shooting on ourselves. Stop Wait, saying. Wait, what was that? Was that your accent coming shooting. up? Oh, shooting. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if that was a, yes, the draw. I, was like, I got to make sure I pronounced shooting. it correctly. Okay. What shooting. Okay. Shooting, yes. Talk to me what you mean by that. So, right. So we, that we're in this place, you know, I should play on this travel ball team. I should study all night long so I make sure I have straight A's. I should make sure I'm this mom that has my kids dressed perfectly with all the monograms on and the bow just right. When we should ourselves to death, we are wearing ourselves out. We are exhausting ourselves out and we're exhausting our kids. I would say to our youth, to, to you to know that what you are dealing with is real and, and that as scary as it is to have the conversation and talk to your parents or talk to a counselor yeah. or talk to an adult who wants to hear you talk about it. Yeah. We got to have the conversations. We got to let our kids sit down and our teenagers sit down and say, this is a lot of pressure. And, and to it, and to say to us, you, you are putting so much pressure on me. This is not even w- where my heart is. This is not yeah. even what I, I want to do in my life. And to know that that's, that is okay, that they can do that. So I would say to them to, to share, to speak up, and to know that, that there are things that they love, that they care about, and to go, to go after those as they can. And, and to know that, that high school is not the end all and be all of your life. Amen. You're going to move on, you know, you're going to move on to college or to a trade. 
are going to be different things. And when you leave high school, for me, I don't, I talk to some of my friends from high school, but I don't talk to many of them. Yeah. And what I thought I was going to be 20 years ago, I am no. <laughs> 20 years ago. And so I would just tell them to know that um, they are uniquely made and they are uniquely created yeah. and that no one else can do what God created them to do. It's like a puzzle. If all we had in puzzles were the corner and the end pieces, where would the middle of the puzzle be? Where would the beautiful picture be? Yeah. We need the middle pieces, right? We need the pieces with the jagged edges. We need the pieces. We do need the pieces that have the corners that are straight. Like we need all the pieces to make the puzzle fit and to make that impact on the world. Yeah. I was at a conference about five years ago, five, six years ago. Oddly enough, it was, a, I think, like a marketing conference. Uh, this is before Save the Kids Days. And they polled yeah. the three, it was probably 3,000 people there. They polled everyone. They said, okay, here's a list of like 100 traits that you find as valuable in someone else. Like what? And, and they and they had them pull out this little clicker thing. They said, "Okay, I want you to I want you to click your five what you feel are the most important traits, the ones you like the most. And if this was somebody you're going to hang out with or do business with, like or be a friend with, like what are the top five things you'd want to see?" And uh, I love data and I love polls, and so I was really excited to see what uh, what the response was. And of the three, at least three thousand people there, the number one that came in uh, was gratitude which was shocking at a business marketing conference, you know, uh, gratitude. I know you talk about that a lot and you mentioned gratitude. Uh, I feel like when I fall into my own stress and my own anxiety of dealing with my problems and my issues, uh, I'm at a very, very low point of gratitude right then. Uh, yeah. And when I start looking at all the blessings I have, small or big, it's kind of where my mindset starts shifting. Now, that's not going to cure clinical anxiety or clinical depression, of course. That's going to need therapy and meds and a yeah. lot of other help. But uh, what are your thoughts on gratitude as a way to kind of help uh, block some of these anxious thoughts from taking over? Yeah, I love that. I love that that was the number one. And you can even, you, you can go and look at, there are so many scientific studies right now on gratitude and how it really, it physically calms your brain down when you go into this place of what am I thankful for? Yeah. And, and I love it with, with my youngest, you know, when she'll sit and she'll say her prayers with me at night and you know, you've got kids, they are thankful for every little <laughs> thing, right? Oh, yeah. And they're going to name it. They're going to name everything. And so what I have found with gratitude is when I move into that place, if I feel that anxiety and that stress and that overwhelm, and I'm looking at the, the smaller picture, when I pause and I take a moment to say, okay, what, what do I have to be thankful for in my life? And I begin to name every, every little thing that I can think of. Yeah. It changes my whole demeanor. I've, I've practiced this with, with high schools. I'll go in and, I, and we'll talk about gratitude and I'll tell them to just call out things that, that they're thankful for. And I love to hear students because they'll name things like their dog or their cat or their yeah. four wheeler, you know, and then I'll look around the room. And their whole body language changes. They're yeah. smiling. Their shoulders are relaxed. They're no longer, you know, bored and sitting still. They're relaxed and they're comfort, uh, comfortable. And they kind of raise their heads like in confidence. And so gratitude is a small thing, but it is a powerful thing for us. And it moves us out of focusing inwardly and 
into an outward place where we see what we have to be grateful for in our lives. And it pushes me to go help someone else. Yeah. To go serve somebody else. You know, don't just think about me, but now, hey, I want to go help my neighbor or I want to go, po- you know, help a, a, a teen or something. So gratitude, it doesn't just affect us. It can affect everyone around us because we're wanting to help and serve them. And I love that about gratitude. Yep. Uh, I'm a big proponent of service, random acts of service. Ran- I mean, if you ever want to, yeah. if you want to take yourself out of having a bad day and feeling a pity party or feeling stressed about something, Go do something small for an old person or for a kid that you don't know. That's right. I stop by every, I have, I shouldn't say this, but in my, in my glove box, which is locked, <laughs> I got a stack of tens and twenties, uh, that I just have left in there. And every time I pull up to like a little, if I, you know, if I'm not feeling, you know, feeling good, but, but I love doing right. it cause it always makes me feel better. Even if I'm feeling good, I can feel better. If I feel like crap, it makes me feel good. Uh, so it's always a win-win, but every every lemonade stand, I don't care if, what they're selling. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it tastes like crap. I will always pull over and I always mess around with the kids a little bit, fold up a bill, yeah. like a big one. They're expecting a 50 cents or something. I'll throw it to them and watch them like, you know, scream or say thank you as I drive by. Yeah. Uh, little tiny things out there. I'm, and the world right now is like, there uh. is such a void right now for people to go out and do more service and to help people there. Yeah. If you're, if you're waiting or looking for an opportunity to do something kind for someone, which is going to really help how you feel about yourself and get you at least out of that doldrum for that minute. Uh, there's yeah. no shortage of opportunity. And I think that's one thing we're, that a lot of our kids are losing out on. Uh, this whole concept, I, I know you're in a small town, but even small town America, like this whole concept of the village is like almost gone. The, 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 one of the big things I hear from teenagers, they just feel like there's no neighborhood. There's no community. I mean, we have a, mm-hmm. we live in a community, but the community concept of kids just running around playing and helping out each other and, you know, neighbors and friends out in their yards and doing the, I mean, obviously with COVID, it's an issue, but, uh, we're just, I'm just not seeing a lot of kids being able to go out there and look outside of a phone or look off an iPad screen. Uh, you know, and families are turning more inward and, and, uh, you know, the extended families are getting smaller. And I remember even just 10 years ago, five years ago, like we had big, big extended family stuff. And now I look at our own family and that's getting smaller. And so I think there's a lot of things we need to do to kind of go back to the old days of the good parts of the old days, uh, to give our kids these opportunities. Uh, teenagers, I see struggle. It's because so many of them are so focused on this foreign screen in their pocket and yeah. who they are on that screen where the who they are in real life doesn't matter and instead of going out and getting the dopamine from you know helping an old person cross the street the you know which feels a lot better than the dopamine from posting another selfie or right uh, but they're just following us uh i want to go through uh i had one question here uh, i know you uh, do a lot of speaking at churches i speak a lot of churches as well uh as we talk about perfectionism there's a there's a scripture in the bible this is the first scripture i've quoted on this podcast that I think is is has thrown so many Christians and Bible readers through the ringer, which is Matthew five forty eight, which says, "Be therefore perfect, mm-hmm. um, even as your Father in heaven is perfect." Um, we get so caught up, especially in religion, and I think that's one of the reasons why there has almost been almost a mass exodus across all religions of people leaving a lot of organized religions. And it doesn't matter what denomination or faith, we're seeing a big jump of people leaving uh, organized religion. I think part of that has to do with us misinterpreting this whole concept of perfection in this life. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, religion has pushed this legalistic idea upon us when, you know, really, you know, God wants relationship 
and serving with with kindness and and not this um, whole, well, you took mine, so I'm going to take yours. And we're going to say, you know what, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to push hope. I'm going to push help because that's what I would want. I would want someone to help me. I would want someone to, to reach out to me. So I do believe that that we in our churches, we have to we have to be the example of that. We have to say, okay, let's get out of these four walls and let's go love on our communities. Let's yep. go do what we're called to do. Let's go serve and not just be about my own family, but let's go be about that family across the street. Let's go be about that community that is starving they are starving for for love and they're starving physically and they're starving emotionally and mentally and they just need somebody to come and say hey i see you i see you yeah. you know our teens they need us as adults to say let's get off of our computers let's get off of our screens let's go walk let's go play basketball yeah. let's go gather other students other teenagers and let you know in a safe i know social distance way i get it like yeah. I, I, i'm with that but we, it's time for us to rise up and to speak up and to say, you know what? It's not about perfection. It is about relationship. It is about community. And it is about living and loving and walking together. And I think if we can do that, just each one of us, one at a time, if, if one listener, two of your listeners or all of your listeners said, what is one thing that I can do today to break down that barrier of perfection and raise up this message of hope and love? to these teens and to our community, if we all begin to do that, how different would yeah. this world look? And, you know, there wouldn't be anxiety or depression because then we're not, we haven't become slaves to the screen and slaves to the comparison. We've been set free yeah. from those chains. So if we can just do one thing, just take one step forward and keep stepping, that, I mean, that gives me chills to think about how different our world could look. What uh, What is waiting on the other side of this fence? You have been on, bo- uh, on the left side where the anxiety and the perfectionism, you said it to the point where it almost took your life. Uh, obviously, probably was very soul-crushing and a lot of just all the bad stuff. And now you've gone through this journey where you've come out on top. Uh, what is waiting on the other side for people who... Uh, were where you were and want to get to the other side, what is it they can look forward to? Freedom. Freedom to know that it is okay to not be okay. Freedom to know that just because I have a a bad moment doesn't make me a bad person. And this freedom to know that that I can love people and, and I can and be there for people and, and, and walk in in a purpose and a plan. And that doesn't mean that it has to be this big massive thing where you, where you reach thousands of people. It's just finding joy in those small purposes, yeah. those small moments, right? Where, where you love on your family, you love on your kids and you can laugh again. You can, can look at yourself and not hate what you see in the mirror, but you know that what is inside is more powerful than what is on the outside, that is freedom. And when you can walk and not be in shackles, there is something peaceful about that and hopeful about that. And it helps you to see that that you really are here for, for a reason and, and, and you matter 
And if you can help other people know that they matter, if, it, if it's little people who are, are babies that you're holding in your arms, to all the way up to our senior citizens who, who are probably really are alone right now, yeah. I mean, you can walk in that freedom and that peace, and you can lay down at night going to sleep uh, with sweet sleep. There is something amazing about that, and that is a dopamine that, that will last you, that will last you for a lifetime. I, people ask me sometimes, they, you know, you, you must love what you do, especially when there's no COVID around and speaking. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to in one day, go talk to like five to 10,000 high schoolers, middle schoolers, yeah. and then they love it and they're crying and they line up and hug afterwards. And it's like the best feeling ever. Yeah. And they'll be like, that must be the best thing ever to have an impact on that many people. And it is. And a lot of people, especially with social media are trying so hard to create a presence and a, a following where they can make some type of an impact. And to the point where so many people are trying too hard just to gain the followers and just to gain the the platform so they can go out and make that. And I always tell those people, I say, you know, as, as fun as that is to be able to get lines of kids lining up to hug and say, thank you. And as much doping as that is, nothing ever, ever feels as good as going home. And having yeah. my four kids give me a hug. Um, the impact that I have on all those kids at school that I don't know would mean absolutely nothing to me if I wasn't making that type of impact with my own children. And so I love how you said that. That I think we need to stop focusing so much on trying to be perfect for the wrong people, trying to impress the people that we don't even that we don't even like. Try yeah. to impress people <laughs> that really don't matter at the expense of losing relationships with the people who really, really do matter right now. Um, tell me real quick about your book here. So I know it's called Anxiety Elephants, and it is, what, 31-day type yeah. challenge? Tell me yeah. a little bit about this and how this came to be. Yeah, so just through after I got through it, walking through restoration and just, you know, just becoming – other side of that anxiety and depression and speaking people began to ask me to to write it they they wanted to read it and write it and i never really seen myself as a writer so this book came about and uh in this 31 day book it it shares a, a like a daily bible verse scripture verse but and then i share part of my story of what those anxiety elephants felt like and uh and then at the end of each day it gives you an action step to take because i remember when i was in the thick of anxiety i did not know what actions to take i would be so frozen yeah. and paralyzed by fear i didn't know what to do so so the goal of each day is to give you a small action step to take and just focus on that one action and then there is a, a prayer if you to pray through if you want to pray that just to help you again just stay focused on that action and then each day has a, a spot where you can journal and write down your thoughts, write down maybe what you're struggling with. Journaling was a huge part of my journey to get through anxiety and depression. So I really wanted that in the book. And so my hope is, is to just help people know that, yes, these anxiety elephants, if you will, they're real, but there are ways that you can overcome and get through it where they're no longer keeping you from living your life. You can find a way to thrive past the anxiety. And so that's the hope and the goal of the 31 days. I love it. Yeah. And people can order that book on your website, karasnyder.com and it's on Amazon. You have it yep. on Amazon Kindle, Barnes and Noble. Um, I'll probably get a couple copies. Maybe I can do a giveaway. That'd be super cool. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people yeah. who probably love this. Um, I, I have one last question for you 
because I know uh, that's something that we really haven't addressed. I know you have some probably amazing insight on it because you have mentioned it. Um, when you when you went through the perfectionism kind of detox, especially of physical appearance and and body and going through all the changes, mom bods, you hear about this all the time. Mm. There's such a pressure, I swear, on a lot of our women to like, you know, fit the mommy blogger postpartum look of just like six pack abs and yes. and like size double zero. I I spent a good year and a half with this Instagram account before I started speaking where I it was a parody account where I was just basically using humor to show how ridiculous it is that these influencers are trying to push this on so many women like, you know, look at this. This is where you should be, you know, three days after your, your baby. Oh, and this is what your yeah. body should look like. And if you don't look like this, what's wrong with you? To the point where I was getting thousands and thousands of messages from moms saying how much my little humor talking about this was like saving their mental health. Thousands of messages from moms saying, you have finally convinced me to stop following this person, this person, this person, because everything they say and do and I'm sure maybe they're not trying to, but it just makes me feel like I'm never going to be enough to the point where they were like almost suicidal. Um, mm. So what are your thoughts on uh, on helping the women listening who are getting sucked into that, uh, you know, trying to keep up with and comparing their lives to people about body image and, and how they look um, and, uh, and just being okay with, you know, not being perfect in that area? Yeah, yeah. I can remember getting caught up in that. I was... I was eating less than a thousand calories a day. I was drinking three to four gallons of water a day. Yes. And I was exercising an hour to two hours every day. And I would lock myself in the bedroom. My child and my husband would be sitting in the living room playing. And I was missing out on life because I was trying to keep up with this false narrative on social media and all that the news was, was spouting out about how I as a woman should look yeah. even though i had just had a baby and and there and it was killing me i was killing myself yeah. while i was missing out on life with my child missing out on living life with my husband and so i would say to to moms when you look in the mirror to know that we might as well accept the fact that as we get older our bodies are going to age they're going to change we're going to look different and that is okay. That is a part of life. So let's focus on what is on the inside of us. That beauty that is on the inside of you, what you can offer to, to kids and to the, your kids' friends and, and to know that, that you've got love in you. You've got that mama bear instinct in you that, that this world needs. So let's focus on working on things that are going to make a lasting impact not on things that are sucking the life out of you. It's taking the life out of you and have freedom to know, you know what? If I do eat donuts with my kids and they're laughing, that is a, that is a great day. Yeah. It Even is. though I may have eaten the donut, I've sat there and I've laughed with my, my kid. I was sitting last night in the bed with my youngest. She wanted to watch a movie and we, she picked high school musical three and I'm like, okay, we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> and, um, you know what? For dinner, we had popcorn and sour Skittles. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? Like she put that whole thing together and I'm looking at it like, I don't know about all of this, but it was pausing in that moment to say, you know what, this moment, this right here is what matters. She doesn't look at me and say, you're not a size zero. You're not 0% body fat. She looks at me and she's like, my mom took the time to let me be me. 
and to eat popcorn and Skittles with me. And that will be a memory that will last with her forever. So let's build those memories for our kids and love on them that way. And then let that allows them to see that they can go and live with their families and their kids and then their kids' kids that way. And let's change the narrative of what we want to be seen as women and as moms. I love that. Thank you so much for saying that there at the end. I hope that was helpful. Thank you so much for joining me on this and for sharing your story. Um, if you want to find out more about Karis, her website is karissnyder.com. Uh, that's C-A-R-I-S-S-N-I-D-E-R.com. Her book is called Anxiety Elephants, which you can get on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, Amazon Kindle. Uh, thank you so much for joining and having an honest conversation about this, about anxiety and about depression and how we can all overcome this. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, message in this movement. You can follow more about what I'm doing on uh, Instagram at Colin Karchner or send me an email. Hey, Colin at save the kids. Us. Go home, give your kids an eight second hug. We'll see you next time.